Amen and amen. How about them girls? That is some good stuff. I'm looking forward to celebrating women in ministry on Mother's Day as well, where I expect something similar. Ladies, I hope you plan on coming back. I know that Haley's about to do her first international tour in Italy. Her, she's going over with her dad. So that should be good. Outstanding. Well, it is fortuitous that they were talking about, Lord, what I have today is my hallelujah to give you, uh, because we're going to talk about some spiritual things today. We're continuing in the book of Acts, Acts 11, part 2. title of today's message would be, Is Tongues a Requirement for a Believer? I want to continue to walk through Acts. As a matter of fact, I want to start with a part we read but we didn't spend much time on it last week in 11. It's going to be found in verses 13 through 17. So if you want to open your Bible up. It deals with the Holy Spirit as well. We will take a trip back to chapter 2. Where we're going to go through six verses there. And then I believe we're also going to be in 1 Corinthians later in the trip. We're going to spend some time looking at the age-old debate. Is the utterance of the Holy Spirit or speaking in tongues a requirement or proof of salvation. We join the conversation here as Peter, as he describes to those of the church in Jerusalem who are not with him, uh, what happened when he went to Cornelius, the Gentile's house, and gave the gospel message. And we pick that story up in verse 13. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just, in a, just as on us in the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? that I could stand in God's way. Amen? Now, Peter is justifying his actions and the response to his actions of being with Gentiles by pointing out what happened is just what Jesus said would happen. And then he told us that back in Acts 1 when Jesus said to his disciples, John baptized with water, but before many days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That was probably, at the time, they probably thought, well, the, he probably means you know, us disciples or maybe the Jews. And really, they didn't even know what the mystery of the Holy Spirit was that Jesus was talking about at that time. Then in verse, he says, you will receive, receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be a witness. Now in Cornelius' house, Jesus' words, his prophecy was coming true once again. So let's take a look back at Acts 2, 1 through 6 at the first Pentecost, or the first public descent of the Holy Spirit, so we can relate to what Peter and his six associates must have been witnessing at this time. Acts chapter 2, verses 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Amen. Some pretty exciting stuff, huh? I got to tell you, I look forward to that day. Tongues of fire fall from the heavens. People start praising God uncontrollably. Yeah, you can get behind that. Now, Peter, nor anyone else, goes into great detail as to which of the manifestations they saw there were present at Cornelius' house. But he does say, he doesn't say they were tongues of fire or a roaring wind. He doesn't even tell us if the utterance of tongues was either in the language of others that they heard in their own or whether it was the prayer language we read about later in Acts. But what is known is that in chapter 10, 45 and 46, we read, Peter was amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles because they were hearing them speak in tongues and they were exalting, praising and worshiping God. So what is described here is not so much a gift, but the result of the gift. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit today. We were speaking last Wednesday at the men's study, and the topic came up concerning the circumcision of the heart, which directly relates the indwelling of the Spirit. The question is whether or not you have given your heart over to God as part of your covenant with him to be a follower of Jesus. I'll say that again. So the Circumcision of the heart is where you've decided to come into covenant with Jesus Christ and you've given your heart over to him. And part of what happens when that happens is you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So how do you know? Well, there's a couple answers that fall out right here. One is you should be spiritually sensitive to the prompting of this Holy Spirit. If you now have him within you. We're told here that prompting will give you a desire to worship like the girls were singing about right all I have to give you Lord is my hallelujah okay if if you're going through life and uh, you've uh, been attending church your whole life or you've only been attending church a few weeks but uh, you believe you said yes to Jesus okay but you don't have an urge you don't have an unction okay to give God praise or to worship God or, or this, this song doesn't light up in your heart at some point, okay? What you probably did was make a decision, okay? But you didn't make a change, all right? You didn't come into covenant with the Lord. Because when you come into covenant with the Lord, you're going to catch yourself at some point, at some time in your life, just giving God praise, amen? amen. I would hope so. We're also told that there's a desire to worship, to praise, to exalt God, and I'll add, to pray for others. The second thing is Peter and his companions were witnessing a change in people that they had seen in themselves. So the manifestation of the Spirit is tangible in that others will see a difference. Has those around you seen a difference in you since you said yes to Jesus Christ. If they have not seen a difference in you since you said yes to Jesus Christ, you just probably said yes, just like you would say yes to a slice of pie. Okay? But it didn't make a change in your life. It might have made a change in your belt size. Okay? But it didn't make a change in your life. 
So people around you need to see a change. And you will witness a change yourself. You will witness a change that you have an unction to be around other followers of Christ. Amen? Amen. Because before those people that you thought, nah, those Jesus guys are going to be there, I think I'll just pass on that one. You'll be like, well, yeah, I'd really kind of like to go hang out with them. There's something going on there I want to know about. Because the Holy Spirit is, is moving you in that direction. It's giving you an unction to find out more, to grow and mature in Christ. We see uh, that others in Christ see something in you as well. In Acts 19, Paul finds in Ephesus some disciples of John the Baptist who had never heard of the Holy Spirit. He explains to them that John pointed people towards Jesus. And so in verse 5 he says, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Again, an outward, noticeable change. Also, there's a gifting of the Spirit. Here again, it is tongues, but it's prophecy as well as an outward manifestation. Does that mean that I or you have been shorted when it comes to God because we don't speak in tongues or other people don't hear us speak in their language? Or we don't prophesy? Does that mean we've been shorted? Does that mean we don't have the Holy Spirit? That's the question of the day, right? It's because there are some denominations that claim if you don't speak in tongues, you can't have the Holy Spirit. R.C. Sproul says, Deciding philosophy or theology on personal experience rather than the Word of God can be a slippery slope. As before we know it, we find that those who have had an experience begin to question those who do not have an experience, and those who do not begin to question those who do have an experience. Amen? Because you're like, wow, they have an experience, you know. They must be different, or they don't have an experience, so they must be different. And I'm going to tell you, it, it, this works in uh, the pastoral ministry as well. You know, when pastors sit around and talk together, and they're trying to figure out, is this person saved, or is that person saved? You know, you're like, well, you're, you end up talking about experiences. And salvation is an experience, but it's, um, it's an experience unto yourself. Okay? Your experience may not be my experience. But that's why we have many denominational uh, divisions. But the Word of God sets the standard for our theology, not our experiences. If I said the way I received the Holy Spirit must be the way you received the Holy Spirit, that means how many people here received the Holy Spirit when they were folding socks in their living room? No? That means you must not have it, because that's when I got it. Okay, do you see? Your experience will be different than mine. Now, one commentator talks about... Uh, Billy Graham and his wife. For those of you who are young, don't know who Billy Graham is, which just floors me. But, you know, one of the greatest evangelists of our time. So Billy Graham, he went out one night, and he wrestled with God, basically, trying to understand whether or not he was going to believe the Word of God the same as he believed in God. And he set his Bible down on a stump of a tree and told the Lord, yes, I will believe. This is the truth. This is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit poured out upon him. And he can tell you exactly the day, the time, and the hour that that happened. Now his wife, Ruth, was raised in a Christian family. And she said she can't tell you 
within five years of when her salvation or her Holy Spirit experience was. But yet she had the Holy Spirit and was saved the same as Billy. But two completely different experiences. That's what we're saying. We have to be careful that we don't place our experience as the period behind whether or not someone has salvation. Amen? The Bible scholar John Piper gives five reasons why tongues are not necessary to being baptized in the Spirit. He says, hey, it's not taught anywhere in the New Testament that is a requirement, but rather it states it is proof. The argument that is used for saying it's a requirement comes from the fact that it happened four times this way in Scripture, but we're never told it must happen all the time because there are at least nine other conversion stories in the Scripture where those who were converted did not receive the gifts of tongues. The third argument, he says, there were special circumstances in Jerusalem, Samaria, Cornelius' house, and Ephesus that made speaking in tongues especially helpful in communicating the truth that the Holy Spirit was creating a new unified body of Jew, Samaritan, and Gentile. Now let me give you what I believe are those, those four experiences here. In Jerusalem... Jerusalem was the center of what was to be God's chosen people, and the experience that happened at Pentecost needed to happen to be big, bold, public, and international, okay? The second one, when it happened in Cornelius' house, was because it was to show that God had chosen to make his kingdom inclusive to the non-Jew so that the Gentiles could be children of God as well. It happened in Samaria because the feud between the Samaritans and the Jews was hundreds of years old. It was far worse than the Hatfields and McCoys. And the Lord used that experience to show that even the enemies of the Jews were children of God. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit being poured out there, then he chose Ephesus at the time of Paul. Ephesus was probably the fourth largest city in the world, a major trade center. Think of New York City. How many international travelers come through there, right? This city was so important that God opened the door for Paul to preach and teach there for two years. So we can see how each of these places that the Lord chose to manifest the Holy Spirit in the form of tongues, there was a statement to be made and a reason behind the choice. Christ has come to Jerusalem, the holy city. Christ has come to the Gentiles. Christ has come to those who were even once enemies. And Christ has come to every nation and tribe. Amen? And each time, there was absolutely no doubt because they received the gift of tongues, they prophesied, they spoke in other languages. The Holy Spirit was true manifestation seen by believers and non-believers. John Piper gives us reason number four. What Jesus does teach is that the experience of baptism of the Spirit will bring power into the witness of a Christian's life. What a powerless Christian needs is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We live in and demonstrate the Spirit's presence more than our sinful presence is the place that we need to live. You ask yourself, do I get a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit? Do I have the Holy Spirit? Ask yourself, is your presence, is the things that everyone see, the way you live, the way you act, the way others respond to you, is that 90% your sinful nature and only 10% your Christian nature? Or is it 90% your Christian nature and only 10% your sinful nature? 
Let's hope it's 90% your Christian nature, because we will all still sin, amen? But we're not known by that name anywhere. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, hey, look, there goes a group of uh, Jesus' sinners. No, it's the saints of Jesus Christ, okay? So you have the Holy Spirit upon accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Can you get a fresh indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Every time you read the Word of God, every time you pray, when you come together with a fellowship of believers, you can't help but get a spiritual filling here, okay? I was telling the guys uh, uh, on Wednesday, it's like on Sundays after church, I don't even have to be the one preaching. You know, like last Sunday when uh, Pastor Ryan was preaching, you know, I go home and I, I have lunch, take a nap, do whatever, and then uh, if I turn the TV on, it doesn't matter what I'm watching. I'm so spiritually sensitive at that point, okay? If a commercial comes on, it may make me cry, okay? Depending on what it is, like, oh, do you see that dog? Oh, my God, God loves that dog. You know, that's opening yourself to be spiritually sensitive. Now, that might not be the way it is for you. It's the way it is for me because, well, anybody who knows me knows I wasn't the nicest guy. So God crushed my heart, okay, and makes me more sensitive. Fifth, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 30, not all that speak in tongues, and the words he uses are general tongue speaking, not merely a special gift used in the church. He seems to have in view the person who feels ostracized without it. He says in verse 16, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Paul responds, not everyone speaks in tongues. Again, I myself battled the question of receiving the gift of tongues, as most spiritual people I know. And uh, when I first came into ministry, I had two young men that uh, prayed over me in tongues, prophesied over me. I still have those words written down. And I was curious, you know, why don't I have that gift? But then I began to realize that tongues is a lot like the radio station. 88.3. So you got 88.3, and when you listen to 88.3, are you hearing clear, concise Christian message on that station? Yes, right? Uh, by the way, that's a Christian station for those of you who don't know it. You might want to try that on your dial. Okay? So, now, but here's the problem. 88.4 isn't. Okay? And when you begin to deal with the manifestation of the Spirit and spiritual things in the spiritual world, it's easy to just slip the dial just a little bit. So I was very concerned about that because the last thing I wanted to do was be able to be preaching and teaching something other than what the Lord wanted. I remember praying and I told the Lord, I said, Lord, if you're going to give me the gift of tongues because I'd wanted it, you know, I, I was called to pray and I, I thought, man, how can I teach others to pray if I don't have the gift of tongues. I said, I want to see the language. And you know what he did? He showed me. The best I can describe it is, a, have you ever seen a three-dimensional chessboard? Okay. Think of a three-dimensional chessboard, and then if you know anything about software coding, think of software coding in three dimensions. That's the best description I can give you. Is it for you? I don't know. But when I saw it, I realized, I said, okay, Lord, I understand. It really is a language that you understand. It's a spiritual language. Did I receive tongues? No, I did not. Why? It was not the gift that I needed. And that's the thing. 
1 Corinthians 12 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. There are varieties of gifts, but, not, and, but the same Spirit. Varieties of service, the same Lord. Varieties of activities, the same God. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, one the utterance of knowledge. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healing. To another, working of miracles. To one, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. Another, various kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of those tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Verse 30 goes on to say, Do all possess healing or all have tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and you will learn even a more excellent way. Amen? As someone who loves to pray, I wanted that prayer gift of tongues. But as someone whose gifting is in preaching and teaching, I'm glad the Lord chose to give me the gifts I needed instead of the gifts I wanted. Amen? And that's what you need to be asking for. Lord, give me the gifts you need me to have, not necessarily the gifts I want to have. Amen? Because if you think about back in your life, think about how many prayers you prayed, especially when you were young, right? About the things that you wanted. I would ask you to raise your hand, guys, now, but I don't want anyone to be divorced. And say, how many times did you pray, Lord, please let me marry this woman, only to find out now it was the wrong choice. Amen? Yeah. C. Peter Wagner writes, just as important as knowing the gift God has given you is knowing which gift he hasn't given you. Many Christians try for years to function with gifts they never had in the first place, and this doesn't do the Lord's work much good. It's like trying to hear something with your knee or throw a ball with your nose. Knees and noses are better off doing other things. Amen? Dr. Piper ends with these comments on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He says, we could talk about hours about the experience. In fact, most of my messages are just that, descriptions of experiences in the believer. But two things from the books of Acts. One is you will receive a heart of praise. <coughs> and the disciples knew the Holy Spirit had fallen because they heard others praising God. Amen. It may be present in you or not, but one thing is sure, the heart in which the Holy Spirit has been poured out will stop magnifying self and start magnifying God. Heartfelt praise and worship is the mark of a real experience of the Holy Spirit. Obedience is the other mark. He says in Acts 5.29, Peter and the apostles say to the Sadducees, who rest of them, we must obey God rather than men. And then in 32, he says, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God gave to us, who we are obeying. It is an inv inevitable that when the object of your heart's worship changes, your obedience changes. Amen? When Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit and infuses us with a new sense of glory to God, we all will have a new desire and a new power and a desire to obey. The other thing I want, to, want you to keep in mind is that there are instances when folks pray or desire a gift that they don't have, okay, and what that does is that allows our enemy to come in the door, okay? Because if you begin to worship the gift rather than the giver, okay, 
That's just a, a type of idolization, and our enemy will come in the door and use it against you. Amen? Now, I'll end with this analogy, and I meant to grab one. I didn't have it. So everybody knows what a glove is, right? Glove is something you put on your hand, okay? So here's the thing. We are the glove. The Holy Spirit is the hand. But when you put your hand in the glove, okay, he wants to be able to fill every finger of the glove. So the Holy Spirit wants to come in and be part of every part of your life. And each time you allow the Holy Spirit to fill another finger of that glove, you're going to see the Holy Spirit work more in your life, and you're going to recognize the Spirit of God in your life more than you did before. Amen? Father, we thank you for today's word, Lord God. Father, we pray that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for the gift of tongues and those who have it. But Father, you have listing after listing after listing in your word of the multitude, Lord, of the gifts that are available to those of us who believe. So Father, let us pray to receive the gifts that you need us to have so that we can work in your kingdom, build your people up, Lord God, and have your will be done in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.